Well, if you've been with us, you know that we are working our way through the book of Exodus. And we have seen where they came to hopeful waters, but they were poisoned or at least salty. They were undrinkable. And God said, take the tree, Moses, and throw it in to the waters of Mara there. And they didn't just become good drinking waters, but what happened to them? They became sweet. And again, it's a picture of Christ and him dying on the cross. He didn't just make us so we're okay people now. (laughs) He caused us to be as righteous as he is righteous by throwing in the tree, so to speak. He became a curse for us on the cross. Curse everyone to hang on the tree that he might make us sweet. And indeed he has made us sweet. And then we saw them complaining now about food. In evening time, God brought some quail in. And then in the mornings, repeated, was the manna. And what did we learn about that manna? The manna is Jesus. And so we're learning as we go through here, especially with the commentary of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's hidden. But in the New Testament, it's revealed. So they say in the Old Testament, veiled. In the New Testament, revealed. And, uh, and so we, we realize that Jesus said there in John 6, without any question, that manna was me. The story, had you read it correctly, with understanding, you would have understood it was talking about the Messiah and how to have a life in the Messiah once the Messiah has come. Well, one thing that we learned last few times, and we've said it and we'll repeat it again, is that signs and wonders and miracles do not create faith and do not grow faith. And when they said, well, show us a sign and wonder, Jesus said, it's an adulterous, it's a sinful generation that seeks after signs and wonders. And the only sign that I'll give you, he says the first time, the sign of Jonah. So he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. So the son of man, I'm going to only sign, I'm going to give you for you to put your faith in is my resurrection. And then again, later on, they asked the same thing. What sign will you show us since you're claiming these things? And he said in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. Again, the only sign that he's giving the world is the sign of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can do a whole Bible study on that, you know. Right from the beginning, Satan says, look at the tree and see that by looking at it, it's make one wise. And you can see it's good to eat. It's interesting that the, the eye gate, it seems to be how Satan likes to deceive a lot. But when God is speaking, it's the hearing with the ears. And of course, far more than that, hearing with our hearts. The word of God going from our uh, ears into our hearts. And so when Thomas said, well, unless I see him, I won't believe. Jesus, he said, once Jesus showed him his hands and his side, he said, Oh, I believe. And and Jesus said, yeah, but more blessed are those who don't see, yet believe. Peter said it perfectly in 1 Peter 1.8. 
whom having not seen, you love. We're talking about Jesus in the earlier verse. Though now you do not see him, yet believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You know, I think that's going to be the shocking thing when we see Jesus. It's not going to be like, oh, is that you? Hi, I'm Brian. You're Jesus, right? <laughs> I think... I think it's going to be like we've always seen him. We haven't seen him with our physical eyes, so that, that's the only way we haven't seen him, though. <laughs> we've seen him in a sweet relationship. We've seen him in prayer. We've seen him in the word. We've seen his nature and his character and, and really uh, seen him in some kind of probably earthly form similar to us. It's going to be... A letdown, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see him going, ah, finally, you know. I think we're going to go, oh, that's nice. But we know him in such a deep way now. It's not going to be once we see him, then we can really start getting to know him. No, if, you know, what's that, that saying? If, if you know him on earth, you will know him for eternity. If you don't know him on earth, you won't know him at all in, in eternity. And so again, um, we don't see him, yet believing we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, we're going to discover here, they're, they're leaving uh, one location. They Remember, they crossed the Red Sea, and they were at Elam, and then from Elam, they, they, they've now went, wandered into the wilderness again. And they're in the wilderness of Sin. That's where we were last week. Well, now they're in the area of the wilderness of Sin, but they've gone to another location. Now, I don't know if they knew, but Moses always knew where he was heading, and it was in a familiar area. But again, getting two and a half, three million people there is, is a lot diff different than just going by yourself. But remember way back in Exodus chapter 3, God said to Moses at the burning bush, this will be a sign for you that I am with you. And when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Mount Sinai are also known as Mount Horeb. So those two words are interchanged. It's like, oh, I thought it was Mount Sinai. No, Mount Horeb. No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. When you, when you travel the world, when you're in places that have more than one languages, you, you realize that you can have one place with many different names because of different languages. But then also different parts of a city, culturally, will call one place a different name from another name. And so it's not uncommon to have more than one name for a place. Well, we're in verse 1 here tonight. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for people to drink. Rephidim means rest. They went to a rest stop and there's no water. You know, that's the way to go out of business quick. <laughs> you know, you get to the rest stop. Oh, just relax. We have no gas. We have no water. We have no food. But it's a great place to kick back. It's like, I'm out of here. Well, anyway, we know this is all about God's plan 
the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They're being led, and by the command of the Lord, they are at Rephidim. And obviously, it was by God's design that they would hit this place with no water. Remember, they hit a place where they had bitter water, then they had no food, and now they're hitting a place, again, very predictable. I don't think they went out in that wilderness thought they would live off the land. They, they realize they're in a place they will not make it in this desert without God. Isn't that true of us? Isn't that why Jesus said to all of us, no matter where you live on this earth, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of mouth. We, we can't make it in this desert. So we shouldn't be looking at the, the cactus and the dirt and the rocks thinking that we can get satisfied. We can't. It's only God that can satisfy us in this place. Well, verse 2 now. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. I think of a toddler, you know, with his hand. And you're supposed to know what they want. Give us water that we may drink. I'm bam, bam. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Remember in the last chapter when they were all mad at Moses? Moses said, hey, you're not mad at me. You're mad at God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Trust me, I could not bring, I, I could barely get myself to Egypt. <laughs> it was by God's doing. I, there's no way I got you guys out of Egypt. You, you, you're, you're messing things up here. I'm here because God led us here. You're here because God led us here. You, you're, you're angry at me, but really you're not. You're, it's the Lord. And you know what? The way you are being angry with the Lord is you're tempting the Lord. We, we learn later that's serious business, don't we? <clears throat> well, shall not tempt the Lord thy God. But having water was a, a very fine thing. Being thirsty is a good sign. When somebody's not thirsty, it means they're near death. And I would dare say that God caused them to be in this place for thirst, right? God causing them to be dry and thirsty. Why? So they would look to him, not look at Moses and get mad, but look to God and let him fill them up. And again, this is the perfect analogy for all times. It wasn't just good for back then. It's good for today as well. Remember Jesus at the woman at the well? He said there, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would given you living water. So in the midst of her getting water, Jesus is saying, if you had turned that around and asked me for water, I would have given you not just water for good for a couple of minutes, but for eternity. And then it goes on in verse 13 of John 4. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of the water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then what does she say in verse 15? Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I want it. Spiritually, she wasn't quite getting things. 
She wasn't a spiritual woman. But we are, we're all getting it. She didn't get it at the moment. But I think she got it later. But we all get it very clearly. But perfect words. Lord, give me that water. You, Lord, give me that water. Not this water in the well, but whatever water out there that you have that's different than this water here. And it's a water that's an eternal water that causes me to become the well of living water. And within me, that water, once I take of that water from your hand, becomes in me now a torrent of living water like this beautiful spring out of my own life. And then you know that story in the last day of the feast. And we do know that there in the temple, the priest uh, would bring out the, the big buckets of water and dump it on the steps and saying that, you know, we've come to the land flowing with milk and honey. We have more water than we need. We can just waste it and pour it upon the steps. And during that time, Jesus comes out and he stands there, right? And John 7, verse 37, 38 said, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to, what? Me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. I thought, as I was meditating on this just a little bit ago, Isaiah 44. Do you remember Jesus? This, is, this was the prophecy of Isaiah 44, where Jesus says, hey, all of you of the nation of Israel, of Judah, I'll pour water on him who is thirsty. I'll pour water and I will flood the dry ground. Interesting. It was a fulfillment of Christ, a prophecy of Isaiah 44, 3, uh, Jesus fulfilling it. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Why? Because they shall be filled. Isn't it true? God, I have a spiritual need, I know. I brought you to that point. But I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm mad at people. I know. Because I'm causing this frustration of thirst within you because I want to fill you. And so again, it's not the earth, is it? It's never going to be the earth. It's going to be the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. And even though it feels like it's in our flesh and the answer's in the flesh, it's not, is it? The answer is the spirit. Boy, when we get to heaven, we'll have it forever. In Revelation 21, 6, and he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirst. So it seems like in heaven, we're still going to have hunger and thirst, but it's going to be different. But it's just simply so he can fill us. In Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nation. 
So this incredibly crystal lake, this beautiful crystal water coming out of the river, um, right at the throne of God. And either side of that river is these amazing fruit trees. And it's healing. This water is just healing to the soul as we partake of it. Well, going on to verse 3 now. So the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained. I think the old King James got it right. Murmured. That's the word. Murmured. The people murmured against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, why did you even start this thing? We're so mad at you that you got us here. Why did we ever leave Egypt to begin with? And so, I know the real reason. I can tell. Moses, you really hate us. That's it. I, I think, again, they're, they're, they, they're not people of good character. And I think if they, they look in the mirror, they would say, I'm not a good person. Us bunch of slaves, we're really sort of gutter rat type people, the way we act and behave. We're sort of selfish and mean and rude. It's not, you know, I, I don't like myself. I'm not likable. And, and this is why God hates us and Moses doesn't like us. I think that's genuinely how they felt. I think we can all feel that way at times. It's just never true. Well, in verse four here, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So they're like, why have you brought us out here? And they lean down to pick up a rock and start tossing it from hand to hand. And the other guy sees him and all of a sudden there's this group of people, several hundred thick of leaders and they all got these rocks, you know, bouncing them up and, and maybe Moses is standing there and went one by his head. God! What's going on? These guys, manna this morning, <laughs> quell just a few nights ago. The miracle of the water uh, being purified through the tree, going across the, the Red Sea on dry land, being, I mean, a year's worth of miracles. And, and, and now the moment they're thirsty, they can't, there's just no, there's zero faith there, isn't there? I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be logical to say, hmm, manna, quail, through the tree in Damara and made the water sweet? I wonder how God's going to provide for us. No such thinking. Want to kill somebody for even getting us here, stuck in the desert. We should have gone back and just stayed in Egypt to begin with. And Moses is like, yeah, this is, they're not just murmuring. They're wanting to kill me. There's hatred going on here. And in verse 5 now and 6, And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Get a few of those guys. And take in your hand your rod, which was with you that struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb. 
And you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Notice a few things here that are going to be significant in a minute. He takes that rod. Now, he doesn't say the rod that he used to cross the Red Sea with. He says the rod that you had back at the Nile, back when that rod was used to turn the waters to blood, that rod that turned to a snake at one point, remember? And in the front of the children, or in front of the elders, have them see the rod, have you see it, and you go out, and I want you to strike a certain rock. This is the first time in the Bible you'll see rock singular, the rock. First time in the Bible. And, and then I love that in verse 6, I will stand before you. Why will this work? Because I'm there with you. You can't see me, but you're going to have success because I am with you. And strike the rock, hit the rock, and then water's going to come out and the elders can witness this miracle. Now, will this help their faith grow? <laughs> will this create faith? No, it won't. But nevertheless, this is what God did. And again, Horab, he calls it here, which is, again, Mount Sinai. So they're in that Sinai region. Um, now, what do we know about this? It's very interesting. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, that all drank of that same spiritual drink. He said before that they all ate manna, and the manna was Christ. And now they all ate drink of the spiritual drink. And they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. This is interesting. And that rock was what? Christ. Uh, again, I, I was thinking about this. In Deuteronomy 32.4, Moses sang a song. And in Deuteronomy 32.4, he said, He is the rock, and his ways are perfect. Moses, in a song we'll see later, but Moses realized God is the rock. I mean, not just a rock, it's the rock, it's God. God is the rock. And, and, and more specifically, he, it's representing Jesus. Jesus is the rock. In Psalm 78, 35, David says, and they remembered that rock was their rock. They remembered that God was their rock, excuse me. They remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer. So when we realize that this is Christ and Moses here is supposed to hit the rock and when he strikes the rock, then water comes out representing that living water. Why? Because Christ had to be struck, hit for our sins. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6, Surely he has bore our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or crucifixion was of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, why is this so significant? Because years later, they go through almost identical word for word 
the same thing. I mean, it's, it's literally different people, but the same exact story. In Numbers 20, in verse 2, now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, if only we had died when our brethren had died before the Lord. They're talking about the rebellious people, Korah and Dathan in chapter 16. And then look at verse 4, an actual same verse. Why have you brought us up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die there? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor are there any water? You know, what's funny is they're saying now Egypt was a place with grain and figs and vines and pomegranates. They used to say onions and leeks and garlic. Now they're saying, oh, there was all this fruit. It's amazing how the story changes. And we also had stuff to drink there in Egypt. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of me. So the tabernacle's built, and this is a familiar scene. And they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod. <laughs> You've been here before, Moses. And your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together and do what? You got the rod, but you're going to speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water to them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. He, Moses, now said to them, Hear, you rebels, must we bring water? We? We? Jeez, Moses, really? Must we bring water to you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod. It was his anger, it was his frustration, not God's. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hollow me, to make me holy before the people in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed among them. So when he gave Moses a severe punishment of not being able to go into the promised land himself. Of course he did. Do you guys remember when Moses did go into the promised land? The Mount of, Mount of Transfiguration um, wasn't there. Uh, and of course he'll be there for a thousand year millennial reign as well. But um, at this time he wasn't able to go all the way after all these years with the children of Israel. Uh, Joshua did. But so God did finally hollow himself in the sight of the people by making known this punishment that, hey, this getting this rock getting hit this time and and a bunch of rebels and we'll do this again because we have to because you're all so uh, horrible. That's why we're doing it because you're just a bunch of evil complainers. Here you go. Here's your water. Choke on it. You know, it's, it's like, you know, God's saying, no, 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 no. That was you, not me. I don't want them to think that was me because that, that's not, that wasn't my heart whatsoever. 
Why is this so important? Because the rock that we are seeing is Christ. And Christ was crucified. Christ was struck once, right? This is such a big point. I mean, I, was, I had so many verses, I just had to cut a bunch of them out. But I still put like eight of them in here. But look at Hebrews 9, verse 26 to 28. Then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. He was talking about the priests and how yearly they brought sacrifices. But if that were the case with Christ, but now once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed for men to die once and after that judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That's at the end of Revelation. In Hebrews 10.10, by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What is it? Once for all. And then Hebrews 10.14, for by the one offering he he has perfected forever those he has those who are being sanctified through the one offering he's perfected. There doesn't need to be a second one or a third one or a fourth one. Romans 6.10, for the death that he has died, he died to sin, what? Once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So through the one sacrifice, he's justified us, he's brought us to God, his Father, and we now live a life in the Spirit. In 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Past tense, completed action. But now the second time, We just speak to the rock. Now we come to the rock. We're still thirsty. We still need to be filled up with that living water, but we don't, the rock doesn't get struck again. We just come to speak to the rock because the rock is our intercessor. In Hebrews 4.14, you know that passage through verse 16. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. But I'm thirsty. I, I, it feels like I, I'm going to die out here. I know. Hang in there. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was on all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And then, of course, Hebrews 7.25, it says that, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives. Like the old King James, he ever lives to make intercession for them. He ever lives to make intercession for them. And of course, Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then in verse 33 to 34 of Romans 8, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen. Is at the right hand of the Father who always, what? Makes intercessions for us. 
Do we understand this? And that's why now we, we come to the rock. And our temptation is to do exactly what they did. We're ugly. <laughs> We're stupid. We're, you hate us. We, you, you, you couldn't just let us die in Egypt or die in the Red Sea or, or die in, in slavery back there. But you had, to, you had to torture us. You had to bring us out here and watch us and our kids and our animals and everything die of thirst. What, you know, why did you do this? Let's kill this guy. We're, we're no different. <laughs> we're, we're the same. We, we look at the children of Israel and may think, oh, we're a notch better than that. We're not. But we need to just keep, hold our confidence steadfast to the end. God loves us. He so loves us. He gave his only begotten son. And I'm coming now. I think I'm going to die. I am frustrated not having enough water. I'm frustrated trying to make it. But we don't need Christ to die again for those sins. We don't need Christ to be struck that we might be healed. We can just come to the rock and speak to the rock. We're finishing up here in verse 7. So he called the name of the place Masa and Marabah. Masa means temptation, and Meribah means strife and contention. And so the name of the place is Masa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? So I wish God would make up his mind. It's like, well, what, what, what would it look like? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? Manna, every single morning you walk out of your tent. I mean, what is God supposed to do to be with you? The answer is, I never have trials. <laughs> I don't have to walk by faith. Uh, years ago, Chuck said, I hate walking by faith. I can't wait just to get to heaven for that very reason. Because it's a constantly a trial. I mean, what used to try us, I mean, if we all went back to kindergarten, I don't think that would be a trial. <laughs> I think we'd get all the answers right. But the whole point of a trial is because it tries us. It's stretching us. It's pushing us to a point that we don't like being pushed to. And if God's with us, we just have all our needs taken care of. And, you know, it's basically heaven. Just, no, that's not God's mind. Interesting later. God, as he's making the law, refers back to this very story. In Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. There it is. And of course, Jesus said to Satan, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's serious business. If you're, if you're testing God, if you're tempting God, if you're saying, are you with us or not? You know, you, you do what I want, God, when I want, how I want it. No. Prayer is not a means by which to get our will. It's a means by which to get God's will. Well, the next story in chapter 17 is equally substantive. So to try to push them all together uh, wouldn't have uh, been wise. So we have this story in these seven verses. Next week, we'll look at the second story, which again, it's one of those foundational, monumental Points in time where God lays down some clear, heavy doctrine for eternity. 
But here we learn today in application, God has provided for them and us in past days, in the present day, and for sure, that means he'll do in the future as well. What does faith look like for us to be at peace in our shepherd's arms of care? Secondly, not to be angry all the time with their spiritual leaders. Amen to that? Um, <laughs> no man can fill another man's needs. It doesn't matter what the relationship you know, a spouse towards their spouse, parents towards their kids, kids towards their parents. You can go right on down, you know, the pastor towards the church, the church towards the pastor. No, our frustration is always gonna bring us to hunger and thirst, but we need to bring it to Christ. It's not if my husband or my wife would be better, then I would be fulfilled. If my parents were better, my kids were better, then I would be fulfilled. No. It's going to be fulfilled. The reason we have that frustration, that anger, that thirst, that hunger is Christ is bringing us nearer to him than we've ever been before. Number three, Christ was struck, hit for our sins that we might be forgiven. Now when we sin or fall short of the glory of God, we just need to come to the rock and speak. Boy, I really want to read all of Romans 5, but I'll just read verses 18 to 21. But he goes on, he's explaining, therefore, as though one man, referring to Adam's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through the one man's, Jesus' righteous act, and the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man, Adam, dis disobedient, many were made sinners, so also by one man, referring to Jesus' obedience, will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace much more abounded. So then, as sin reigns in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the one time of Christ being struck has undone all that Adam has done. And yes, Adam's sin is permeating the earth now, but Christ's righteousness will permeate it far more to those who believe and then just keep coming to the rock over and over again. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, walk in light, he sees in light, you have fellowship with one another. But then he's still, even as we're walking in the light, as he's in light, we still have sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus was struck once, but the blood keeps flowing towards our sin. We don't need him to get crucified again to get more blood. We don't need for him to be crucified again for the new sins I've committed. He, he paid for all the sins of all times. So what do we do in 1 John 1, 9? We just confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last thing is, number four, let us not murmur, be complainers, critical, fault finders as they were. Jesus said it plainly in John 6, 43. He said to them, murmur not amongst yourselves. <laughs> and then, of course, in 1 Corinthians 10, 10, where we read the passage earlier in the rock was Christ, he, he ends that by saying, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. 
If you're murmuring and complaining and it's not bringing you to the rock, you can get to a very, very dark place. And Satan can really get a foothold with that kind of anger in our hearts.